Welcome to Authors on the Air, everyone. I have a very special guest with me today. Edward Zuckerman is, I want to say, internationally famous. He started as a journalist. He has an, a list of television shows and other things that he's written for, including the Law and Order uh, House, the canon for Law and Order. He's written for Blue Bloods, for JAG. He was the production leader on that. He's produced so many things and been awarded so highly for all his great work. And now he's turned his creative endeavors into a new book. Welcome, Ed, to the show. Hi, Pam. It's great to be here talking to you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I, I'm just fascinated with how you, or your outlet for all your creativity has come to pass. Um, you mentioned that you started off as um, a journalist, and it seems to me that a lot of writers started with a journalistic past. Will you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I think, you know, I, I was, I wanted to be a writer my whole life, and I've worked as a writer uh, my entire life, and I think I had a couple of teachers who spotted, I had a little talent for that years, uh, you know, many years ago and got me started. And for someone of my generation, uh, the ultimate goal of a writer was always to be a novelist. That was, that was the, the ideal goal. Uh, Young writers today, I have no idea what their ideal goals are. Maybe to be uh, write a, maybe to be a podcaster or write a Netflix series. Uh, anyway, one very common path, entry uh, path for uh, young writers it was journalism. Right. And I came of age in the 60s and 70s, uh, which was the heyday of the alternative press. I worked for an alternative newspaper in Boston called The Real Paper, uh, sort of like the Boston version of The Village Voice, which you're probably familiar with, which you're yes. familiar with. So it's defunct now. They're all defunct now. Uh, and that led to writing for national magazines. Uh, Rolling Stone was my first big national magazine. I was a contributing editor there. And I did some interesting stuff for them. I, they sent me to South America to find the killer bees. And the famous killer bees were coming this way. I interviewed the uh, sign language speaking uh, apes. Uh, I met Coco the Gorilla. Yes. Uh, she, she told me she loved me and asked me to tickle her, uh, which I did. Uh, and uh, and that led to other national magazines, uh, New York Times Magazine, and Harper's and Esquire. And uh, back uh, back in this was in the eighties, and that was a good career back then when magazines still existed and were still important and mattered. And that was ongoing very well. And I wrote a couple of nonfiction books back in those days as well, uh, in the eighties and in the nineties. And then through a total fluke, I had this friend involved in writing for television. He was on Miami Vice at the time. And it was an unreproducible way of getting into that business. But I got into that business. And I spent many years on the original Law & Order and other TV shows, uh, all cop and law shows, almost all cop and law shows. I created my own show, which ran for like five minutes on CBS called Century City, but a law firm in the future. Uh, we are actually, I think we are now in the year that that law firm was set in. Wow. Um, and uh, uh, finally, uh, in uh, as my TV career began to wind down, it was time to write a novel, which had been my goal for, for 50 years. Uh, and uh, but I brought some aspects of my work as a journalist and as a TV writer into my novel writing. Uh, it, it seems to me, excuse me, it seems to me that. 
Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we spoke earlier. Uh, many of the writers that I know who were journalists or wrote for television, because it's a spare amount of writing, especially mm -hmm. if you're writing a television script, you're not describing the scene or anything. You really are just telling the story and letting mm -hmm. everybody else fill in the rest of the stuff. The same way as journalism. Now, I actually thought I would go into journalism after I, you know, I had a degree in English and thought I would go into journalism. And then one summer while we did an internship at the Miami Herald and the guy said, oh, this is like the worst business to be in. You'll never get paid. <laughs> so I said, okay, that was fine. You know, and, and at least he told me, but um, you and I have a lot of mutual friends who, who've mm -hmm. written for you, Paul Levine, I, I'm sure you know John Julian. And, oh, you know, yeah, you know John? Yeah, I've interviewed John, he's <laughs> such a nice guy. And other people who have, you know, who've been in the industry. Art, did those prepare you for writing the, your first book? Or is this your first, this is your first full-length novel, correct? This is my first novel. I did write a book of narrative nonfiction. Okay. Uh, but writing a novel was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Tell me why. Well, because uh, in a TV script, uh, you can say uh, uh, interior restaurant night, uh, Ed and Pam are sitting at a table. Uh, in a novel, you have to describe the goddamn restaurant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have to introduce Pam and Ed, right? Yes. Do a character uh, study uh, on them. Yes, and uh, 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 TV scripts are uh, all dialogue, mostly dialogue. Right. There's just so much more to it. And also, even though my novel is a short novel, uh, it's about 70,000 words, uh, uh, that's so much more than in a TV script. I mean, I wrote or co-wrote or edited or supervised in the writing of at least 200 TV scripts with plots, cop shows, law shows. Right. But, uh, you know, the average script is like 55 pages uh, with very narrow margins, the dialogue margin is like that wide, right. and a novel was just so much more than that. Uh, and uh, when you write a TV script just, uh, under the supervision of a network or studio, you have to do a detailed outline before you write the script. Right. Uh, and I could do a detailed outline for a 55-page script. It, it was not easy. That was actually the hardest part of the job, harder than writing the script once you had the outline. But I could never, I couldn't outline a 300-page novel. I just couldn't go that far ahead. So I found myself outlining the next 30 pages and then oh, hoping, okay. leaving myself somewhere to go from there. But I couldn't, you know, things would come up. I'd, I'd have a new idea. There, a joke would come to life or to be a line of dialogue or I, I just feel a need for a new character. I kind of, you, my, I've always liked mysteries and thrillers. And my novel is in the thriller category. Right. Um, and I sat down to write, I'm not the first writer to say this, sat down to write the kind of book I like to read. Right. So, I wrote a pretty spare thriller with a heavy dose of humor, which is also also the one of my specialties. Let's make a slight digression here. Uh, when I first wrote from Law and Order, um, I was known in house for writing the funny episodes of Law and Order, which is odd because no one thinks of Law and Order as a funny show. But there was some wit. The, there the was cops, some wit. The cops would wisecrack, and very early in the show it was probably the second season. The show ultimately ran 20 years, and now it's been revived with a, with a new version. Which, uh, anyway, um, Dick Wolf, who was the creator of the show and was very hands-on in those days, now he's a, he delegates. He has a multi-billion-dollar enterprise. He can't pay attention to every script. Right. But back then, it was it was his only show, and he came into my office one day, and he said, Ed, I've got you, I got your, your new script. Um, 
it's very good. You know, we're going to shoot it next Tuesday or whatever it was. Uh, but he said, there's too many jokes in it. I've circled every joke. There's a joke on every page. Cut half of them. Your choice, and then we're good to go. Whoops. Interesting. <laughs> so, so, well, let me ask you something. When you're mm -hmm. writing the book, now I only have a digital copy. Do you have your book handy so you can hold it up for everyone? Oh, yes. I just happen to have 50 copies in the next oh, room. Oh, good. There. Okay, there we go. Okay. Wealth Management is the title of the book. I'm sorry I didn't say that earlier. Thank you, Ed. Wealth Management, a novel. The if anyone gets, if anyone gets confused and buys it looking for investment advice, I'll, I'll <laughs> take their money too. Yes, well, no, it's not. <laughs> you can find it easily uh, on retailers wherever you go. Um, when you sat down to write the novel and you recognize that you're used to writing 55 pages of dialogue versus a fully fleshed out novel, mm -hmm. was your first draft very spare? My first draft is very spare. My final draft is very spare. I'm one of those writers who basically polishes as he goes. So there were not major rewrites, but I mean, I think I read, oh, it was some other much more famous writer than I, uh, who said uh, that every day when she sat down to write, she would reread what she'd written up to that point right. and, and polish it. And that's what I did. So I rewrote as I went. Uh, but it actually, it is a, it's, it is a spare book. The, it, it's, it's about uh, 50 three-page chapters, or I'm 60, I, don't, I forget exactly, but there are very short chapters. Um, I don't like to read or to write description. I get bogged down on that. I don't think it's interesting. Right. Right. So I was, uh, it, uh, it, um, yeah, it is spare. But uh, I mean, is it true you have to leave some work. of it to your reader's imagination? Like you're talking about, you know, what color the sky is. You don't have to name all the different colors the sky is. And you also don't necessarily have to give more than a vague description of your characters. A lot of times um, you allow your reader the choice to decide who the characters are. Right. So, which is something that uh, Robert Crace likes to talk about. He, um, he, I, when I asked him to describe Joe Pike and, and Elvis Cole in his books, he said, what do they look like to you? And he says, it's up. Whoa, I don't know what happened there. We got blank. Sorry. Um, it, it, it's up to the reader to decide what he, what you want them to look like. He said, that's another reason why he'll never sell his books for, for film or television. Which I thought oh, really? was, yeah, he he's so loyal to to the brand and he doesn't want somebody else's vision of his book to go through. That's besides the point. Hmm. Um, so I have heard other writers that do that in order not to say for some reason you have to take a day off from writing. I don't know if you were a dedicated writer daily or not, but in the event you had to say go out for a doctor appointment or you know have your teeth cleaned or something and you lost your place in the writing process, reading back to what the previous chapter was helps you get back into the story, doesn't it? Absolutely. And and you're and you're never not working. I mean my book it's in a thriller category. It's a, the plot is very important to it. Right. Uh, I actually have two main stories, two A stories, as we would say in the TV business, with right. a couple of B stories. Right. And at the end, they all had to come together in a climax. I had to bring unrelated characters into the same physical location on the street in Geneva at the end for it to work. And that required a lot of thought. And so, you know, walking, going to the dentist, uh, taking a shower, you know, sleeping, dreaming, um, 
it took a long time to figure that out. Interesting. Um, when we talked earlier, you said that you went to Nigeria to get a feel for the country. It's almost like you walked in your character's steps. Obviously, you're not Nigerian and all, but right. did it help you when you were trying to envision the whole book, that particular part of the book? Well, I mean, as I, I come from journalism, and I think that real stuff is a lot more interesting than stuff you sit around and just make up. I agree. Uh, and uh, in, in fact, I'm going to digress slightly. Remind me, we're expecting Nigeria in a minute. But the impetus for this book is um, is something factual. After 9-11, there was a rumor, that a report, that someone had sold airline stocks short right before 9-11. And when you sell stocks short, you profit when the stock price goes down, as right. you're probably aware. So right. someone, and after 9-11, airline stocks uh, went way down. Uh, so someone made a fortune from what happened in 9-11, and people thought, you know, holy shit, did Osama bin Laden short airline stocks right. uh, to make a few million dollars on top of uh, the, the horrible, the, 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 what, the deed. Right. And it was, actually, it was actually investigated by the SEC and the FBI, and it turned out, hmm. no, I mean, on any given day, someone is shorting some stock everywhere, every right. stock everywhere, and it was right. some random person in the Midwest, I forget, or some head, anyway, it was a total coincidence. But that gave me the idea of someone shorting stocks and then doing something to make the, uh, to the, make stock, the stock price go drop. down. And then someone told me that the TV show uh, Billions, is that what it's called? Billions? It had a similar similar plot, but I was already writing at that point. Uh, so I began with this sort of real-world factual premise. In the course of developing my story, I wanted to introduce a character who was a detective from Nigeria. Even though my book is set in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, where I also spent a lot, a lot of time on the ground. So the book is filled with Geneva stuff that I picked up from being uh, in Geneva. But I like the idea of this fish out of water from Nigeria coming. I've always been interested in Africa. I've been there a few times. Um, but I, to write a Nigerian detective character, I mean, I'm a million miles removed from being a Nigerian detective, obviously. Uh, so I could have just, you know, you know, made stuff up. I could have Googled. I could have, I could have read other crime novels set in Nigeria and just stolen stuff. Uh, but the ideal thing was to go to Nigeria and meet some detectives, uh, which was not that easily arranged because the Nigerian police are a, first of all, notoriously corrupt, uh, and uh, you know, not really interested in. They don't have a big PR firm working for right. them. You know, <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, but I, I found a book on Amazon called Police in Africa that had a chapter written by an Oxford University sociologist who had spent a year embedded with the Nigerian police. So I tracked this guy down. I talked to him, great guy named Ali Owen, and he made some introductions for me. And then I went to Nigeria and I met some people that I had, uh, he had arranged for me to meet who were uh, current cops, former cops, and crime reporters. And I mean, it was just fascinating. And um, uh, that illuminated, I mean, that made my Nigerian character feel real and be real. Like I stole some stories from the cops I met in Nigeria and put them in this guy's background. Um, and uh, especially nowadays, there's this whole thing about cultural appropriation. Yes. People get it, writers get in trouble for writing characters who are different ethnicities or sexes or genders. Uh, so my editor, who was a little bit on the woke side, 
was a little bit concerned about this Nigerian character, uh, and you have him talking pidgin, which sounds sort of like, you know, that uh, makes it sound sort of low class. And, and I had to assure her that I'd been to Nigeria. I'd met Nigerian police officers. So I, not in the sense of hiring a sensitivity reader, which people are doing now, but in the sense of just good old fashioned research. Exactly. Uh, well, I'm going to just take a second here. If you're just joining us, I am talking to um, former journalists and an Emmy award winning multiple times and multiple honorees for many, from many different places, um, television writer, and now author of a thriller novel called Wealth Management, a novel, uh, Edward Zuckerman. Ed, I'm thrilled that you are with me today. I, I love your stories about how your past informed your writing today. Um, I want to move on a little bit and ask you if, if you knew what you wanted your book to be about in the beginning, and did you know where it was going to go to the end, or at least where you hoped it would go? My original plan ending was so stupid, I realized that halfway through, I couldn't possibly reach that with any credibility at all. I began with that, that fact about 9-11. I began with an interesting foreign setting, Geneva, where I spent some time with my friends living there. And I think that thriller novel readers like to be taken to exotic places. Like the thing about my next, what's happening with my next one, we might make it back to that in a minute. Um, and also, I had an idea that actually came out of my TV uh, career. I had an idea for uh, for three characters in a love triangle. Love triangles, have, I think, make great stories. They're, They're interesting, that's for sure. Uh, there's some <laughs> you never movies. know what's going to happen. So, uh, there are, uh, classic movies, Jules and Jim, and I mean, it's sure. a, so I began with uh, three classmates from Harvard Business School where my daughter just enrolled. So if the professors that read this book, I may be, she may be in trouble. Come to think <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and they're all working in finance now. And uh, there's two men and, and one woman. And uh, uh, the, one of the, the, the woman and one of the guys had an affair in, in, years ago. Now they're reunited in Geneva where she's currently having an affair with the other one. So they're all mixed there. Their personal lives are all mixed up. Uh, one of the characters is working undercover for the uh, U.S. Treasury Department investigating dirty money in the financial system, and both Jeez, of these. Where would they find that? You know. <laughs> uh, and it turns out that both of his former friends, his former girlfriend and his former friend from school, who's not helping the pair with his former girlfriend, are handling some suspicious characters, uh, have some suspicious clients themselves. So he's enmeshed with them professionally, secretly, in love with one, resumes his affair. Uh, it just seemed like a very rich, er, rich dramatic area for both the personal conflict, personal drama, and uh, a real-world, fact-based uh, thriller material with uh, uh, terrorist money, mafia money, things blowing up. Um, although it's not, it's not a, it's not a big action piece. Uh, in fact, my main character, who's a sort of this undercover agent, is is a former uh, hedge fund operator himself who was motivated to do public service after his brother uh, was killed in the army in, in Afghanistan. Um, what was the hardest part of writing this book, Ed? Was it developing character? Was it keeping the story flowing? In your humble opinion, how did this start? Well, it started with a, a place, uh, three characters, a situation, 
and the and 9-11. Uh, Where did you bump up against um, a speed bump? The plot, working out, I mean, you know, I mean, if you, if you write a so-called literary novel, the plot can go anywhere it wants to or go nowhere at all sometimes. It's all right, about because it's character. about a character, right? I get yeah, that. Yeah, about the character yeah. relationship. But a thriller has to pay off. Yeah, there's got to be movement and action all the time. There right? has to be. Yeah, so you know, I drop a couple of bodies along the way. Although my my lead character is not an action hero. Uh, although in the very end, he does become one against, you know, uh, which is part of his character arc, I suppose, as we, his journey, as we used to say in, in TV. Um, but to devise three stories that kept moving, kept twisting, and then were actually somewhat unrelated, but came together at the end, uh, it was very complicated, and it took it took it took years to think about that. <laughs> when you when you started writing, and you mm -hmm. had in your mind what you wanted to do, were you really excited to sit down and, and put your words on paper? I was excited to be writing a novel, and after I'd written just really a few pages, I liked what I was doing. Uh, as you know, casting, you know, putting myself in the reader point of view. Is this interesting? Is this, is this, you know, I think the first chapter, I hope, grabs you and it moves very quickly. There's all these very short chapters. You're not going to get like by. I like short chapters. I like short chapters myself. I mean, I mean, I read a novel recently. It's actually, it was a crime novel, but it was by a very well-regarded writer whom I will not name. And this, the main character in this novel lived in a house in a rural area and Every time this character walked out the front door of his house, you got a description of how the mountains looked across the way. Every, <laughs> every chapter, they were this and the clouds were that and the da da da. I, you know, I don't care. I, I just don't care. I think it was like I said, you have to give readers some credit to kind of, they've heard it once. They can pretty much assume the trees weren't planted someplace else. And this was a, this was a very well-regarded novel, very successful novel. It's a fine writer and very successful and bestseller. And it just, it just doesn't, doesn't interest me. That's, How did you feel when you finished writing the final revision on your book? Well, I was both, happy because I, I thought I I thought it was working, but I was also very apprehensive because no one had really seen it. My wife had read a little bit of it and uh, no one had really, really seen it. And I have an agent from many years ago when I was a, a nonfiction writer who handled my nonfiction books. And this agent is actually a very, you know, Binky Urban. She's a very well-known agent. And I sent it to her. And if she had said... Um, it's a, you know, it doesn't work. That would have been it. That would oh, have geez. been it. Oh, that no. Would, been, would you have, have not it. written again? I would have put this in a drawer and I don't know. I mean, <gasps> I just, I, I mean, I, she she knows books. So she doesn't know thrillers. Uh, and actually, in, in our conversation, she went, after she got the book, she called me like a week later or whatever it was. And she told me that she just received a first novel from another client of hers who's an excellent journalist who wanted to write a novel. And she said, I got this book and I read it and I had to call, what's her name? And say, you know what? This is, this is, this doesn't work. I said, okay, how about, how about mine? She said, oh, you can do it. It's good. Oh, good. So it was, uh, I mean, and then selling it, you know, there were a couple of bumps in selling it, but the fact that a reliable objective person who knew the industry 
So gave you know gave it a thumbs up, and it could have gone either way because I mean I'm you sitting by yourself doing this, and who the hell knows? You know, uh, selling books is a very difficult thing. The marketing of books is not as easy as it looks. Uh, you know, it takes an awful lot to get books sold. Did you when you went into this? Did you think about that? It's not like. You know, Law and Order, like you said, is so well known. It's got I don't know how many spinoffs now. Um, the the shows that you were on, especially, I guess this is before Netflix and all those other streaming services. Right. Um, you were a guaranteed hit when you you stayed on year after year after year. Did such great things. I remember when Paula and you wrote for Jag or you. You were Paul's mm-hmm. supervisor under JAG and yeah. you wrote with Blue Bloods and, and a lot of these things. Books, marketing books are a little bit different. What is your strategy, do you think, to get books sold? <laughs> oh, desperation. Uh, you know, it's, it's my, my, uh, <laughs> and, and it's changed. My, my, my nonfiction books came out in the 80s and 90s. Nonfiction is a little bit different, but even so back then, publishers sent me on a, on a publicity tour. It right. blew me around the country. I was on local talk shows. I was on the Today Show. I was on yeah. David Letterman's show talking yeah. about the, my my, uh, my first book. Um, this book, it was like, okay, we'll publish it. You know, we'll, we'll give you a, a modest advance, right? And then, and then, uh, you know, then good luck to you. You're on <laughs> your own. It, I think that COVID changed a lot of things. Obviously, you people couldn't wouldn't get on planes and travel, and bookstores were shut down and People were afraid to go out in public. You know, there was a lot of hysteria and pandemonium with that. But um, I think that book still sold very well. And so publishers, it seemed, did not want to go back to the way it was. They thought, oh, we're here. Authors are making their own arrangements to be seen in bookstores or libraries. We're not going to interfere. Fine. You want to sell your book, you got to figure out how to do it. And it's really a shame. I don't think any publishers I've ever heard of are going out of business. Only one, and they were not well-funded. So you have yeah, your my, work cut out for you, don't my you? My publisher think? publishes a lot of books, and they throw them out there. And if, you know, one in 50 or one in 100 hits, great. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're on your own. I mean, I hired my own publicist uh, who arranged this interview with you, fortunately. And, uh, and he's a great guy. Uh, Wiley, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's... Uh, yeah, so Wiley I mean, is and, and one of the kindest, nicest, most accommodating publicists I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And we have met at conferences. He's just a lovely guy. And I arranged a couple of uh, bookstore launch events at bookstores where I either had a relationship or uh, the Mysterious Bookshop in New York, which is a great bookstore for, for, for prime novels. Uh, I'm doing stuff on the Internet uh, writing little essays for websites I never heard of because I'm not of that generation, but you, you wrote for crime reads, didn't you? Crime reads and criminal elements. Yeah. Criminal, criminal elements. That was called. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're, you're working it. I mean, you know, writing the book was the easy part in retrospect. It looks like, excuse me. It's okay. No. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. Trying not to sneeze and blow out the speakers. Um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, a lot. It's a lot of work for you to to get your yourself out there and for someone to recognize you as different. Because, like we talked about earlier, you talk about James Patterson. There is that core group of people who didn't have access to the internet. They only had their bookstore, whether it was 
Walden books or borders or whatever it was that they could go to. And of course the biggest authors took the end caps and the front tables. And, and so publishers pay, publishers pay for that placement. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why indie bookstores are so important because mm -hmm. indie bookstores don't get paid. They are picking and choosing who they feel are the best books. You won't find a James Patterson most likely in an indie store of any import. And at least it's been my experience that I haven't. And uh, so I think at that time before the Amazon days, as I said, there are readers who would read um, Nora Roberts or James Patterson or, you know, some of these older romance writers and mystery and thriller writers. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't a huge selection unless you want to go to cookbooks, self-help, or, you know, how to mm -hmm. learn to do math or something like that. Children's books. You, know, you didn't have a big selection. You had some nonfiction books and so on. So, uh, but now it's changed. It's an interesting. You know, and, and it's hard to get into bookstores. Because bookstores it's can, very they, difficult. Can, they cannot buy every book. So a lot of bookstores don't have my book. Well, they'll uh, take it on consignment. That's the problem. Well, and a lot of times the publisher doesn't want to do that. Typically, what used to happen is a book would go into a bookstore like Barnes and Noble. And then if you're a well-established author and then if they didn't all sell, they would put them on the clearance rack. Right. Well, it doesn't work like that. They've run out of space. Um, right. Traditional bookstores do not do as well. For example, if you do go into a Barnes and Noble half the store is taken up by their cafe and then another that's quarter of it for the cafe and a quarter of it is for tchotchkes socks with cats on them um uh, pens fancy pens calendars stationery you know all those other accessories not books so and, and what the, what this means is that you know amazon is is the enemy of the independent bookstore it absolutely it's, is it's, you know, the enemy of the, of the of the physical bookstore and yet Thank God for Amazon because you can yeah. get my book on Amazon easily. I mean, right. if I didn't watch it, anyone you know watching this who wants to buy my book and have it in thirty seconds. Exactly. Uh, and not just Amazon; there are other online booksellers. Absolutely. All, all the online booksellers. So even though, on the one hand, you know they're the the enemy of literature, on the other hand, that's you know thank God they're it's the, there. It's right now, it's the only way to go. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Ed Zuckerman, it has been an honor and a pleasure speaking to you. I hope one day you'll come back. And by the way, um, why don't I ask our mutual friend, Paul, to, to get with you so you two can talk about your writing days and how it turned into books. Well, at my bookstore event at a bookstore in California, Paul was my interlocutor. Oh, yes. Was, uh, he and I sat and uh, had a fine time at... Uh, a bookstore called Pages in Manhattan Beach, yes. California. Yeah. You know, when this network first started, Paul was one of the first hosts once we went beyond just my show. Oh, wow. He had a show called, um, let's see, he wanted to call it Pulp, Fic Pulp Friction. I think that's oh. what he called it. And so I said, okay. And, you know, he had a ride. He interviewed all of you all from the, from film and television and plus huh. other authors that he knew. Huh. And then uh, he was doing a Sunday night interview and it was live radio at the time. And Marcia said, no more. <laughs> You're not spending time with me. <laughs> oh, that's fine. You know, and, and Paul has a book out right now, as you probably he does. know. Uh, early he does. Grade. It's up here on my shelf. 
yeah. one of these places in here. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's due to come back on. And it was so nice talking to you. Promise well, you'll come you back were. sometime and tell me how, how the book is coming along. I'd be happy to do that. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Um, listeners, go and find Edward Zuckerman. Um, you can. Where are you? You have a website. Are, are you on social media? Uh, yes, um, my website is uh, edwardzuckermanbooks.com. Uh, you can get uh, get to. Uh, I have the author page at Amazon, uh, and I'm on uh, Facebook and all the usual. But okay, uh, yeah. so much fun, isn't it? Being on social media. No. <laughs> No, not a chance. No. Thank you for being with me, everybody. And thank you, mom and dad. I'll be right back.